I'm Trevor Collins, and this is Times Like Now. Times Like Now is an interview program, interviews with interesting people that are doing cool stuff. And on today's show, James Francis Thorpe. He's considered one of the greatest athletes of all time. He won two Olympic gold medals. He played college and professional basketball, baseball, and football. He became the first president of the Professional Football Association, which later became the NFL. With such a dynamic career, maybe you're wondering why you've never heard of this superstar athlete. Well, his medals were stripped from him for what are believed to be racist reasons. My guests today, Florence Ridlin and Bob Wheeler, are co-founders of the Jim Thorpe Foundation. I'm Trevor, and this is Times Like Now. Hello, Florence and Bob. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's our pleasure. Thank you. Nice to meet you both. So let's jump right into Jim Thorpe. And where I want to start is take us back to that Olympics of 1912. That was where was that Olympics taking place? Stockholm, Sweden. And Jim Thorpe was decathlon and pentathlon in those Olympics? Correct. Okay, take us back there and tell us a little bit of the story of that Olympic event and those events. Well, Jim was uh, was 5 feet 11 and 180 pounds. And many of the pentathlon events, such as the javelin, the discus, he had not, uh, and, the, and the pole vault, he had never competed in before. And uh, the pentathlon is, is a test of uh, five events, long jump, javelin, 200-meter dash, discus, and 1,500-meter race. And uh, he competed against the greatest athletes in the world and tripled their score in, in the, the pentathlon. Then with a short break, uh, two days later, he competed in the 10-event decathlon which is 100 meters, long jump, jock put, high jump, 400 meter run, 110 meter hurdles, 110 meter hurdles, discus, pole vault, javelin, and the 1500 meter race. And he set a record in that, that the margin of victory that he had, uh, according to the great Olympic historian Bill Mallon, his margin of victory in the decathlon has never been approached to the modern times. And another quote that Mr. Mallon had that I loved, he said, Jim seemed to have been teleported from the future to the 1910s. Then following, following those, those events, the uh, host of the games, King Gustav V of Sweden, with, with a voice okay. shaking with emotion, said, shook Jim's hand as he as he gave him the gold medals and said, sir, you are the greatest athlete in the world. And Jim's reply was, was thanks, King. <laughs> now, uh, a little bit about your backgrounds. You've been, I guess, studying and, and working on Jim Thorpe's project, this uh, to reinstate his Seoul Olympic. You've been working on this for over 50 years. Is this correct? That's correct, and, and actually uh, close to 70 years. <laughs> uh, my father, and to your listeners who have children or to the children listening, my father uh, gave me a book for my 10th birthday, and it listed the world's greatest athletes according to this author. 
Babe Ruth, Jack Dempsey, and Bobby Jones. And uh, Jim Thorpe was one of the names listed. And I remember saying to my dad, why is this history book spoiled? And he said, what do you mean? I said, there's, there's a Paul Bunyan type figure in here. And he said, who are you talking about? I said, there's this athlete that said was a, a world-class athlete in 22 sports. That's just not possible. His name was Jim Thorpe. My father sat me down and was a, he was a great student of Native American history. And he said he was a real person and he was the world's greatest athlete. And he did, he did compete in all of those different events. Florence, please speak up. What is your involvement in, in this project? The what you're doing is a, a petition, is this correct? You're reaching out? That That's correct, although this really started, we had a petition in the 1980s that had over several million signatures. Um, part of it was instituted by the Ohio JCs. They went through their whole organization and worked on this, and then there were a lot of other people who contributed to the numbers, too. And we finally got the attention of the IOC when we discovered there was a copy of the rules and regulations for the games for the 1912 Olympics, which the IOC kept on saying there was no written copy. And we found it in the Library of Congress. After a lot of research, there was no... It was not listed in the, it was card catalogs back then. There was no listing in the card catalogs for it. But um, a wonderful librarian there let me go through the stacks. And I was going through the stacks and there was nothing in the stacks either. And then just as I was leaving, I thought, well, I got to make one more little try. And I went back and I reached between the shelves um, of two backed up bookcases and there was a paper down there, and I pulled it up, and it was the rules and regulations for the 1912 Olympics, which they said did not exist. And in that, in those rules, it said that if uh, there was a question of a competitor's winning, it had to be decided with it had to be challenged within 30 days. And it was over six months later that the AAU challenged. Jim's amateur status. So they had actually taken away his medals Ill- illegally. So let's 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 talk about that real quick. So he won these events by a landslide and then you say over 6 months later his medals were taken away. Now he currently is co-champion in the decathlon and pentathlon according to the IOC. Explain a little bit about what happened and why the medals were taken. Well, they were, in 1982, when we had the Jim Thorpe Foundation, we presented him with this evidence. And with the help of William Simon, who was then the president of the United States Olympic Committee, and also a lawyer, told them they were going to lose in any court battle with us. So they reinstated Jim Jim's records, gave duplicate medals to the family, but then they kind of did a backdoor thing of listing him as a co-champion instead of a champion. And that's that's what we're fighting today to get that fully corrected. You want to tell him about Anita de France? 
Yes, uh, Anita de France has been an incredible help to us. She is the International Olympic Committee's representative to the United States. And I love her quotation. She said, the Thorpe case is one of the most egregious miscarriages of justice in sports history. And she, she was so kind. She asked us to contact all the ancestors, all the uh, grandchildren, great-grandchildren of the silver and bronze medalists families to see if they would mind to have the, the records corrected to list Jim as the sole champion. Many of them said, said to us that the uh, medals are great, but what is immortal is the name in the record book, and Jim Thorpe was the champion. Can you explain again, well, not again, can, can you explain to me why were the medals taken? What did he supposedly do, or what was the reasoning behind well, this? Jim was a student at the Carlisle Indian School. And one of their programs was, was the outing system. So Jim, Jim was their star football player and track athlete after the 1908 season. And that summer, Pop Warner, the immortal coach of the Carlisle Indian School football team and track team, sent Jim and Jesse Youngdeer and Joe Libby to South Carolina and North Carolina to play summer baseball to keep in shape. And as part of the outing system, the money that was paid to the athletes playing on these sports teams went was sent back to the school. And playing in the summer leagues in 1909 and 1910, after doing that, Jim returned to the Carlisle Indian School and was an All-American football player and track athlete in 1911 and 1912. But that two summer of playing summer baseball uh, made him, in the eyes of the International Olympic Committee, the AAU, a professional because the Olympics were for amateurs. And Jim had no parents. He was a, he was a uh, orphan and had no one to defend him. And an eyewitness saw Pop Warner go into Jim's dorm room with a typed letter that he forced Jim to sign and copy, saying that he had played summer baseball. And Pop Warner denied any knowledge of that, even though he sent him there. Even the superintendent of the Carlisle Indian School, he denied knowledge of this, even though we were able to uncover a signed letter giving permission for Jim to play summer ball in the Carolinas. Interestingly enough, during this time, President Eisenhower um, was an All-American football player at Carlisle, excuse me, at West Point. President Eisenhower was a star football player at West Point. He lied on his application to West Point when he was asked, have you ever played professional sports? He played under the name of Webster in the Midwest to make money, as did most of the white athletes, the top athletes in the colleges. They would play summer baseball under assumed names, and Jim did not do that. And because of that, James Sullivan, 
the founder of the AAU, instead of giving Jim a courtroom hearing or the ability to defend himself, he met privately with Pop Warner in his office in New York. Pop took a train up to New York and they said, we've got to protect ourselves. We've got to uh, basically condemn Jim Thorpe and Pop returned to this Carlisle Indian School, went into Jim's room when no one was there and took his gold medals and his trophies from the Olympics and shipped them back to the Swedish Olympic Committee. And in turn, they sent them to the International Olympic Committee. So it was a, it was a massive cover-up, very racially motivated. Jim slept in steerage with a Jewish athlete on the Olympic team, Abel Kiviat, because the, the discrimination was so rampant. The other athletes, the white athletes, all slept in first-class accommodations. We asked Abel one time, you keep mentioning your Hebrew. He kept saying he was in his 90s when we talked to him. And I said, here in the record book, you ran for the Irish American Athletic Club. How is that? And he said, in the New York City area, if you were a world-class athlete in the early 1900s and were from the right side of the tracks, if you will, if you were white and wealthy, you ran for the New York Athletic Club. If you were a minority or poor and were still a world-class athlete, you ran, you ran for the Irish Americans. So, yes, that's that's the case that, unfortunate in that time, Native Americans were not even considered American citizens at that time. That's correct. It wasn't until 1924 when they were granted citizenship. So there's a story out there, and I've wondered if this is a, a true story. I'm guessing that it is. But the story of Jim's shoes being stolen. Can you tell me some of that? Yes, Kyle, that, that story resonates today. I'm, I am so encouraged that a lot of young people with whom Flo and I come in contact know the shoe story. It is so inspirational. And, and people, teenagers all the way up to uh, older people, much older people are inspired to carry on because of Jim's resilience. But what happened before the final event of the decathlon the 1500 meters with minutes before the race was to start, Jim reached into his duffel bag to get his shoes on and someone had stolen them. So very quickly, he ran into the locker room. One of the athletes there had one shoe and it didn't fit him, it was his left shoe, but he grabbed it anyway. He would be disqualified. He had like a minute to go, ran out on the field, took a burn barrel, a giant burn barrel, and emptied it onto the grass. There was another shoe, a right shoe, and this one was, was too large. He grabbed a couple of socks, put it on that foot, s squeezed his foot into the other shoe, made it to the starting line on time, won the race, set a world record, and won the gold medal in the decathlon. That is uh, that is an inspiring story of and just stick to itiveness, I guess, and and uh, creative thinking as well. So, a little bit about your more about your project. 
Uh, are you writing a book? Have you written a book? And tell me a little bit about the movie that you're working on. What's the name of the movie? Right now it is uh, Bright Path, the Jim Thorpe story. And the movie is, we have a wonderful script by an A-class um, script writer and everything else is set. How is this story playing out? What part of of Jim's life? Now, he had so much going on, so many sports uh, that he performed, baseball, basketball, football, as well as the Olympics, an Olympic runner. What portion of his life are you going to tell, or will this be a, a full biopic? I believe it's, it's going to be uh, centering on the athletic career of Jim, but Right now, we're we're thinking it will include um, his legendary career. That after his sporting career ended, he uh, uh, founded the NFL. By the way, he was the first president, and uh, he uh, uh, allowed uh, minorities to play. Before that, there was a lot of criticism, a lot of racism, a lot of prejudice. But as uh, Leo Lyons, one of his co-founders, told us said that Jim Thorpe's word was law. But after his playing career, he uh, was during the Depression. He uh, uh, not only served in the uh, Coast Guard during World War II mm-hmm. after, the, after the Depression, but he, uh, at the age of 58, but during the Depression, um, his name was Aka Pomata. And uh, he founded, he went to Hollywood and was in demand for the... Uh, um, for the movies industry back then in the uh, in that era, westerns were very popular, and Native American actors were almost a hundred percent portrayed by non-Native American actors. And he went to Hollywood and fought for their equality. He uh, started an Indian center; it was called because the Screenwriters Guild and the the Screen Actors Guild uh, forbade. Indian involvement and membership, and he uh, literally with Cecilia Blanchard as his co-founder, they fed, found housing, and lobbied for jobs in the movie industry for these these Native Americans. So I think, to answer your question, I think um, part of that will also be involved in in telling the story. Mainly, it is going to focus, though, on the early part of his life and up through the Olympics and um, the final victory at West Point after the Olympics, where Jim Thorpe's team, the Carlisle Indians, were basically the winner of the national championship after that. That, that there's, team... there's There's plenty for... 10 movies in his life with all the different things. So there, there is a focus on this early. Right. Well, that was, that was my thought is there's so much to tell. How would you put it all into one film? Uh, uh, I'm sure you'll, you'll make a good go of it. I'm sure I'm looking forward to that uh, someday. Where could people find more information about the petition? And well, real quickly, where is your petition now in reinstating Jim as the sole uh, gold medalist of those Olympics? We'd like to respectfully request your audience to 
to copy down this website, it's brightpathstrong.org, and sign a petition to restore the name of Jim Thorpe as the sole champion. And uh, as Anita de France and many historians have said, they, they feel this is one of the greatest injustices in sports history. And uh, But if your listeners would... Um, would please go to brightpaststrong.org and sign that petition. Um, that would be incredibly helpful. Uh, Anita de France is currently uh, setting up meetings with President Thomas Bach, president of the International Olympic Committee, to convince him, to persuade him, to appeal to him to restore Jim Thorpe's name to the record book as the sole champion. Deborah Holland, the Secretary of the Interior, has also been incredibly helpful. Um, she she has uh, sponsored uh, a resolution to restore Jim as the sole champion, and we're very grateful for her support as well. I should note that Deborah Holland is a congresswoman. Now, Bob, you are uh, you are Jim's biographer. <clears throat> uh, do you have a book out that people might research? Yes, it's called Jim Thorpe, World's Greatest Athlete, and uh, it has I think what would be inspiring in its foreword, um, and, and that's why we're so grateful for this opportunity. When I was writing the book, I wrote to the top 10 historians, in my opinion, sports historians in the United States, uh, to say, where could I find information on Jim Thorpe? And only one responded. His name was uh, Colonel Alexander M. Wayan from West Point. And I think I think you'll love his words. In his letter, he said, in the interest of scholarship, you will no doubt carefully analyze all stories that come to your attention. Some ridiculous stories concerning Thorpe have been published in magazines and books and have been solemnly repeated by reliable writers such as Grantland Rice and Arthur Daly. I repeat, watch carefully what you write because more lies have been written about Jim Thorpe than about any player in football history. And I could add to that, Kyle, that, that Grantland Rice and Arthur Daly were Pulitzer Prize winners. But thanks to the, the 200 people, I was invited into their homes and offices with no appointments. But I just mentioned the name Jim Thorpe. And if it was President Eisenhower, if it was President Ford, if it was President Reagan, who said that Jim Thorpe was his greatest hero, no one turned me down. Burt Lancaster, who played Jim Thorpe in the original movie on Jim Thorpe, was in the middle of, of a film at that time, and uh, he shut down the production to talk about Jim Thorpe. He politely asked uh, Telly Savalas, Ossie Davis, and Shelley Winters to give him some time to talk about his hero, Jim Thorpe. He also said, he, he told me something that you can't repeat, he said, until after I pass away. And that is Warner Brothers didn't even want Jim Thorpe on the set when they were doing his life story. Can you imagine that? So Bert said that he called Jim and he said, Mr. Thorpe, my name's Bert Lancaster. I'm an actor. I'm going to be playing you in the movie. I know I'm not as good looking as you, but I'll do the best I can. But can you teach me how to throw the javelin and hurdle? Bert had, was an athlete, but had no skills in any of those events. And uh, Jim came out, taught him how to drop kick a football, and uh, established a lifelong relationship. And when I interviewed uh, President Eisenhower, um, 
the the funny part of that story is uh, a, a voice came over a loudspeaker, sounded like it was from heaven above the clouds. It said, state your business. But as soon as I got in there, he sat in his rocking chair. He was very frail. Then it was in 1967. And he uh, he remembered play for play the national championship game against Jim Thorpe. And he said, without a doubt, he's not only my hero, but he is the greatest athlete of all time. And he he uh, he he uh, actually destroyed a lot of the mythology of that game by telling me that no, my career did not end the day that I tackled Jim Thorpe because I couldn't tackle Jim Thorpe. And uh, so he set the record straight on that, as did a lot of the other people. I, I interviewed Jim's teacher, Verna Donegan Whistler, and they they gave me information that uh, was not available before. Bob's book was published very early in the 1970s. And a lot of the research that's available today was not available then. And the Doug Williams Center and Brandon Logan and Matthew Guidry allowed us the chance to write a case study on Jim Thorpe. And their purpose is, is really to show the racism that has existed in sports and allow, and have that help for correcting the injustices in the future. And so we've done a case study. It's kind of lengthy, but if anybody goes to the Doug Williams Center website, they can download it for free. And it describes a, a lot of what has happened with Jim a lot of what happened with Jim Thorpe, and a lot of that is some uh, information that we did not have available when Bob wrote his book. And one of the exciting things about it, I think, of what they're trying to do is to help correct these injustices that still exist today. Kyle, one one of the members of the uh, uh, Right Path Strong organization. Uh, actually a board member and actually the co-founder of it and one of the film's producers is Nedra Darling. She's very banned Potawatomi. I, I love her statement. She said, correcting Jim Thorpe's achievements in the official records would not end the systemic prejudices that pervade our institutions, but it would send a powerful message of hope and liberation to the indigenous communities in the United States and around the world whose past and present should no longer be invisibilized. The Bright Path Strong website is not just uh, to correct Jim Thorpe's injustice. It's to allow the Native American voices to be heard. And we think that's very important because if you're going to have correct these one of the first things that you need is the truth about the history of what happened. Well, I'm looking forward to researching more of this and reading on my own. I want to thank you both Florence and Bob for joining me today on the program. Uh, Once again, what is the website where people could learn more? It's brightpathstrong.org where they can sign the petition. And the one, if they just go to Doug Williams Center, 
um, dot com dot com, then yeah. they they can download the for free the uh, recent research on the case study of Jim Thorpe. One of the film's producers had, I think, a very powerful quote, and I think it it reflects what a lot of people know about history. He said his name's Abraham Taylor, and he said as a lifelong student of American history, I thought I had an expansive view of our past. Learning the real story of Jim Thorpe changed my worldview and opened my eyes to a history and perspective I was robbed of. Thank you once again, both of you. I really do appreciate your time and good luck in all these ventures. Thank you. It's our pleasure. Thank you. Past episodes of Times Like Now can be heard wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you to the letter J, Cody Robertson, for his original music. My name is Trevor Collins, and I can be reached, Trevor, at timeslikenow.com. I look forward to speaking with you next time.